welcome to another episode of the Bold Platform Podcast. My name is Adrian, and I'm the creator and host of the podcast. So the podcast is an opportunity for us to showcase Australian women and girls who are doing really bold and beautiful things throughout the country in the business of charity or not-for-profit social enterprise space. So if this is your first episode, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. And if you have listened to another episode before, thank you for coming back and joining in to hear another story. So today I'm joined by Stephanie from The Very Good Bra. So welcome, Stephanie. Hello. Thank you for having having me on the show. It's great. Thanks for being here. Now, I know you're a little bit sleep deprived today, which is probably a familiar story for anyone listening who has a small business. Um, So let's get straight into it. I'd love for you to share with me and the listeners on what The Very Good Bra is all about. Absolutely. Well, look, The Very Good Bra... Um, there's a longer story. So I'll start with with a slightly longer story. So in 2006, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I couldn't find a bra in a proper cup size in a natural fibre to get me through treatment. You have to have something, you know, soft, unwired. Um, and yeah, ideally cotton. I, I couldn't find anything and it was completely demoralising and depressing. The only things around were maternity bras and I'd just been told I'd never have kids after chemo. So the whole bra thing was fairly traumatic for, for me yeah. in those early <laughs> those early stages. So I went through 2007 wearing sports bras and thinking that it was just outrageous. That as a young woman, you know, you're going through so much and you're losing your identity with your hair and your eyebrows and you just want something to be normal and yet you're kind of forced to wear bras that you would never wear and that are not particularly feminine or attractive. So I I was really struck by this idea that, you know, I'd cease to exist as a woman and and as a female consumer. So I held on to that for quite a while, obviously, resentfully. Mm. And then when I kind of got to the five-year point and I thought, well, I'm probably going to live, I, I decided I'd really like to do something about it. And I started working with some people who worked in the industry to develop um, a line of bras without wires and that was the name of the business um, that were great everyday bras for women that went up to e-cups um, but that were also quietly lined with organic cotton for, for women who were going through breast cancer but were a really great product for, for everyone. I did a lot of research that said that 74% of women will prefer to wear a non-wire bra um, if it offered the same support. So I worked very hard on that business and, and it launched pretty strongly. I ended up twice um, being in a situation with investors or backers that, that didn't work out for me. Um, and after the first time I lost the business, which was the middle of 2016, I was I was just devastated. It was it was such an important idea to me. It was something I was so passionate about and that I loved, and there was no hope of recovering it. Um, and because we we had another buyer, but my my um, backer didn't want to sell. So um, yeah, I had to press the button. But that same week, just when I thought it was all over, I had to meet somebody quite by accident who uh, runs a circular economy jeans company in the Netherlands and he happened to be out in Sydney for the sustainable brands conference and we got talking and when I learned you know for the first time about this thing called the circular economy my brain just started going two to the dozen and thinking well I could do something maybe there's a reason I'm not doing bras that was anymore maybe there is actually a better idea and a more important idea and I could actually create something that was you know something that that left no trace that was a circular 
piece of clothing. And that's kind of where uh, the Very Good Bra initially kicked off or the idea of this in 2016. I have so many questions now. (laughs) Far away. (laughs) One of the first things I would love for you to explain is that term, the circular economy. So I I know a little bit about it, but I definitely am am no expert. So if you could share um, what that term means for people that may be unfamiliar. Yeah, well, at the moment, I mean, a simple example is we have a, a very linear economy. So if you buy a washing machine, um, you use the washing machine and you're interested in the performance of the washing machine. But when it comes to the end of life of the washing machine, it's just a piece of junk that then has to be disposed of. But in a circular economy world, that particular item would be designed in such a way that all of the components could be actually pulled apart and reused in something else, every piece of metal, every piece of plastic. Uh, If it's not reusable, it shouldn't be allowed in the machine. So that way, rather than create something that's linear that goes from design through to obsolescence and landfill, it actually is regenerated and those materials continue to circulate because we do actually have a, a finite amount of materials and I think it's Daniel MacArthur um, told us that we've only got about 17 years of silver left you know it's, it's astonishing that we're just wow. using up resources at a rate that you know we can't find things to replace them mm. so with mud genes for example what they did which is really beautiful is that they they have a lease a gene idea so that you don't actually own your genes you lease them and at the end of life you pay something on a monthly basis and then when you've had enough of them or when they're worn out you give them back to the shop where they will Um, patch them up and make them into vintage jeans and something that different or if they're too run down they send them off to a company in Spain which puts them in a giant drum with hooks in and and that all of the materials get broken down into a new fiber which then can be knitted into jumpers so that all of that cotton then gets completely reused Um, but you have to design for that up front so you know they use special cottons to sew and they have vegan leather you can't have any leather in there so they're using cardboard so it's it's just so much that you put into the design uh, stage and the material stage so that you're not wasting it at end of life you're reusing it which is a great way of doing things and what we have to consider more I think. Mm. So before the original um, business uh, back Mm. in in um, in 2016 was your background in in fashion or um, what what was your what was your background before these businesses? I was a headhunter in funds management. So wow. Completely different. Yes, I had always been in, in the, the executive search sector, both in the UK and then in Australia. And I was running my own business, which was really successful um, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was a sudden stop. But it was only really that experience that just made me so indignant mm. that I really felt I had to do something about it. So it's been a massive learning curve for me. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, I often quote Natalie Portman when she was talking about directing her first film and she says, if you knew how hard it was, you wouldn't do it. Mm. I think that's true of this as well. If, if yeah. you have any idea that you, you just think, oh, and probably nobody else is doing it because it's actually really, really, really hard. <laughs> so, but if you don't know anything and you think, oh, it can't be that difficult, I'll give that a go. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then you've got yourself in so far that you can't stop. You just can't allow yourself to stop. So you have to carry on. And that's where I am. <laughs> and like you said, obviously through your own personal experience, this was something that you felt very passionate and focused and 
you know, um, determined to make happen. So I think when there is that personal drive or that personal motivation, and that's something that we hear a lot from the guests is whether it's through something that happened to them personally, someone in their, in their family or friends circle or in their community, once they've seen it, they, I remember interviewing Olivia, one of the young girl I interviewed who has a lemonade stand that raises money for homeless people. And she sort of said, well, once I saw a homeless person, I couldn't not do something about it then. And it's, it's that similar message that comes through from guests. It's like, well, once I've seen it, something, and I've seen that there's a need, I won't stop until I, I get there. Absolutely. I just didn't want any other young woman with breast cancer to be going through what I've gone Mm. through. And it just, it seems so simple and so unfair that I really had to do something about it. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very, very personal driver without that, you know, I mean, nobody wants to get breast cancer, but without that experience, I I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'd probably Mm. still be a headhunter and funds management. So you mentioned before about during treatment, there were certain sort of undergarments that you would have to wear. Is that something, mm. and, and not obviously having experienced breast cancer myself, is that something that the, the doctors or the medical staff are telling you, or is that something that you had researched yourself? Yeah, well, the, the medical staff sort of tell you, for me, I was diagnosed on a Friday and I was booked in for surgery on a Monday. So there's no Gosh. time to do anything. It's just oh, nothing. Stephanie, that's I know. Uh, it's very quick. But look, it's good to get it out as soon as they can. So that's a positive. For sure. But yes, it is. It's very, very quick. So there's very, you're doing a, as much research as you can. There's lots of things that you need. I did see a breast care nurse, I think, after my diagnosis and before I went in surgery and she just said, you can't wear wires um, after the surgery and mm-hmm. because of radiation that'll make your skin burn. So you need to have a breathable fiber in there. Um, and that's, you know, it's fine if you can wear bralettes that you're a small, medium and large, but I'm sort of, you know, I'm a size 10 E. So, you know, for me, it's, it's not possible yeah. to, sure. to just kind of make do with something else. I needed mm. a proper bra, mm. um, in a proper cup size. So, so yeah, that was all part of the initial briefing. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So um, another thing that you mentioned during um, sort of your introduction there was around the, the the term around the no trace. So could you just explain a little bit more for myself and the listeners in terms of the product that you have now in, in that sort of zero waste um, sort of no trace um, type, type mm. um, part of the product, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well to, to carry on a bit from, from what then happened, I, I, I really kind of wanted to think about this idea and I was trying to think about ways that you could make a bar circular and it really came it really became very apparent quite quickly that as a as a piece of underwear you know you don't really want your underwear recycled and also elastic when it's gone it's gone sure and there are so many little tiny bits of material in a bar that they don't really add up to anything it's not like a pair of jeans Mm -hmm. so it kind of became apparent to me that the only way I could make it circular was to to make it botanically circular um, and at the same time, it was the end of 2016 and I was flying back from Christmas in, in England with my family and Trump had just been elected um, as president <laughs> and women were burning their bras in the streets. In the literally. Again. <laughs> literally. And at the same time, um, people in India, in Delhi, were because it was winter, they were burning rubbish to stay warm and dozens of them were dying because of the toxicity of the rubbish that they were burning. And it really you know, crystallized in me there and then that what I had to do was create something that was so clean that it could be burned or buried at end of life and not leave a trace, not leave a harmful trace in soil or in the air. And so 
there began the experiment to find all of the separate components, um, which was, you know, in some ways was easier, you know, in some ways a lot more difficult. We had to kind of really create things from scratch. So materials, I went for tensile um, that's made from uh, eucalyptus trees in, and lensing tensile is a closed loop system that was developed in Austria in the 40s and it reuses like 99% of the of the um, chemicals and the water that's used in the processing of the fabric. So a beautifully clean fabric and also one that's, funnily enough, often used in post-surgical um, garments because it's mm-hmm. got wonderful antibacterial qualities. So, mm. so tensile was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, but then the elastic proved incredibly difficult. Um, elastic is so toxic. And in the end, I could find only one supplier Um there's a woman in Germany who's worked with a factory in Austria to create tree rubber elastic from sustainably managed, managed um, plantations that is then knitted into organic cotton and dyed organic, oh, organically wow. with gods. Yeah, it's incredibly expensive and it's so rough, but we have to enclose most of it because it's it's not soft like mm. people are used to in a in a bra. Um, I had to find sewing thread. Obviously, your sewing thread is polyester, which is plastic. So I had to hunt for other types of elastic. Organic cotton is not always strong enough, and it can clog up machines. So I sew with a tensile, which is made in Switzerland. Um, and I also use some of the other sewing threads, my hook and eyes, which are made, which are a cradle to cradle product made from cellulose, um, actually from beech trees. Uh, and then, yes, the hooks and eyes were the big, massive problem. So I couldn't find anything that was not glued or laminated in some way. And, and mm. I was working with a factory in China, and they've been very helpful and supportive. They totally get what I'm doing, and they really have been resourceful in trying to come up with things. But whatever they came up with would always have a bit of glue or a bit of laminate. And it was only we just were really stuck because I couldn't have a little bit of glue or a little bit of laminate, and the Kickstarter was about to start. <laughs> and um, I realised that you know I, I was watching Mad Men one night, and I saw Betty Draper in a beautifully constructed 1950s bra, mm. and I was thinking they didn't have laminating glue in that time, and they didn't have <laughs> Hang spandex. Hang on a second, <laughs> oh, no. No, that wasn't part of the game then. And so I suddenly thought that that's what I, I had to do. I had to go back to kind of where lingerie had been made for mm. a long time. And it wasn't in China. China's been great for the last 20 years and they're technically better than Europe now. But for those sorts of things, I needed an older type of business. And I found a company in France that um, actually custom makes um uh, sort of rolls of, of hook and eye material on. I said, if I send you my organic cotton, can you make them? And they said, yeah, sure, we can do it. We'll give it a go. And they sent me one and it looked great and it was all, um, that was all very exciting. And then, um, yeah, I'm probably running on a bit now. With, no, with no, my, that's great. Or should I carry on? Okay, yeah. so, so then what, um, yeah, so then during the production, um, we were just about to go into production for the hooks and eyes. And one night I realized that I hadn't actually sent them sewing thread. And I was in a complete panic thinking that everything in the bra would be completely no trace. And yet I hadn't thought about the sewing thread. So I oh. emailed them and said, yeah, they were going to sew with their own polyester thread. Sure, so I, yeah. I emailed them and said, you've got to stop. I've got to send you this. And they said, it's too late. We've already started. And I said, no, no, no. And I sent the MD who I'd met all the 
articles that we were getting globally about being the world's first compostable zero waste bar. And I said, we cannot have anything polyester or plastic in this bar. And he came back and said, look, I understand. We'll wait until you provide the proper sewing thread. So Mm. it delayed the production by another two weeks. But at least then I knew that we were using the right sort of sewing thread. And it did occur to me for a minute, you're just thinking, oh, this is so hard. Who would know? But, of course, I would know, and I couldn't Mm. live with myself. So I I did stop it, and we did wait, and and eventually we got what we wanted. So so all the components in there um, are botanically circular and can be composted or worm-farmed or just buried in soil and will disappear over time. Can you even imagine back to a time when, everything that you just shared with us in terms of the, how technical that knowledge is, that that would even be a part of your world? <laughs> I know, my vocabulary. I know. Yeah. It's, I guess, it's no, incredible, I Stephanie. I know. If anybody had told me that, you know, three years ago, I was going to be the world's first zero waste bra. Yeah. I didn't even know what zero waste was. <laughs> it was wrong on so many levels. So yeah. I know I've kind of immersed myself in this and I've got this whole other world, which my friends don't understand so much. But, uh, yeah, it is, it's strange what you can pick up at a later stage of life when you're really determined. Mm, but I think you also explain it in a really, like it's obviously a very technical space, but there was nothing there that you said that I couldn't sort of un- understand that you've obviously, you're explaining it in, in a way that just your average shopper can understand, which is obviously very important. Is that a skill that you've picked up from, you know, obviously you've done quite a bit of press and, you know, you've been on the project, you've obviously been invo- involved in in um, investment rounds and things like that. Is that something that you feel like you've honed in on over the past few years when you've, you've had to pitch what the product is all about? Yeah, I've had to make it simple, I think. I mean, mm. look, you know, when I talk to factories, they talk about stuff and I have to say, well, hang on a minute, what's that? I, Break I don't it know down what you're talking about. Yeah, stop. Yeah. What, what are we talking about? And they talk in a whole other language because they're used to talking to production managers who've got decades of experience. So there's so much stuff that I don't know. But, I, yes, I am aware that there are even most basic things that I talk about that if I talk about them in a certain way, friends particularly male friends may not necessarily understand what you're talking about. So, and I am clean or I am clear that I want to make it as simple as I can for everyone to understand. Mm. Um, and particularly to understand around the, the importance of it and the, the priority of it. So yeah, I've got a lovely neighbor down the road. who's a, a male and he makes documentaries and he came up to me one day, might've been after the project. And he said, why is it important that women's bars are compostable? <laughs> I said, well, it's how much time really... have you got? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not so much really about women's bras. You know, your undies should be compostable as well. Everything we have should be compostable because yeah. otherwise it's going into landfill. It's not actually just about the bra. It's about everything. So, and I, I think that's really important in what I do. I don't know how big this business is going to be, but it's, um, it's as much about awareness um, as it is necessarily about selling bras. Mm. People need to understand the connection. And there is quite a large conversation going on globally now around fast fashion. And I think back even two years, maybe it was just the sort of the pockets of the world that I was spending time in, but I don't feel like it was as big of a conversation as it was two years ago. Now you've got shops, you know, like H&M, for example, that don't have the best reputation from a fast fashion point of view, but they've got great initiatives where you can take your clothes and they'll break them down and, 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 you know, from what they have said, use them to 
recycle. How much, um, how much of that conversation and, and what was going on in the world has played a part in your decision along with what you've learned around the need for breast cancer survivors to have access to these sorts of bras? Yeah, it's, I mean, two years ago when I was banging on about this, or just over two years ago now, it was, um, gosh, it's three years now. No, mm, four, yeah, 2020, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was, you know, my family didn't really understand and it seemed a very obscure and um, very, very niche idea mm. that had very limited appeal. Um, but in just that time, you know, so much has happened that it's become so much more mainstream and there's there's lots of reasons for that. You know, David Ashenford's done a lot. Um, mm. We've had the, well, just this year we've had the worst, bushfires, mm-hmm. um, things like Burberry burning their waste stock, um, things like, you know, them debating in the House of Parliament in London whether a tax should be put on fast fashion because it's, you know, very hard to dispose of and it has such an impact on the environment. So it's just gone gangbusters. I didn't think that it would happen this quickly, I have to say. I mean, I, I felt like it had to happen Mm. but there was a point you know there's been a point in the last 18 months where it's a point of no return it's not just a it's not a fad it's not going away it's only going to get bigger um and that's a fantastic thing and I think you know the the big fast fashion houses are are really what's driven a lot of this need for change because that you know 20 odd collections a year that they're, they're doing it's, mm. it's a ridiculous amount of produce and it's all made of polyester and it's all going to live in landfill for 200 years so they do need to do a lot is that the yeah it lives in landfill figure? for 200 years polyester wow. it's plastic and it gives off methane gas during the time that it's doing that which contributes to climate change so sure. there's a very tangible impact on the environment from the clothing that we just willfully buy cheaply and wear three times and then throw away um their model has to change because they're still at the end of the day while they're they're trying to recycle things it's not that easy to make you know to recycle it's more Mm. expensive than buying virgin product and people are used to buying virgin or buying cheap clothing from them they don't want to pay more for something that's been recycled so there's a long way to go there and plus the model is is predicated on people buying an awful lot of stuff that you know they're not necessarily going to wear for a long time Mm. So we'll watch that one. But it is, it's good to see them pioneering some things. And I think IKEA is now the glo- largest global buyer of organic cotton even. Mm. So people are really at it in the, the bigger businesses too. And starting to, to make headway. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about um, the operations of your business. So you're based in Bondi, New South Wales mm-hmm. of Australia. And talk yeah. to me about what the operation looks like in terms of the manufacturing, where that's done, who else works yep. in the business with you? Is it just yourself or is there other people? What does the sort of behind the scenes of of the very good bra look like? Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, I work in my spare room <laughs> in Bondi. <laughs> yes, and many startups do. It's such a capital intensive business and yes. um, I don't really want another backer at the moment. I'd rather just continue to, to do it myself. So I have a great um, virtual team and that's the wonderful thing about you know, the, the world that we live in now, there's so many capable women, you know, particularly mothers who are happy to continue doing what they're doing, perhaps work from home themselves and mm-hmm. um, and contribute. So I've got a great virtual CFO who's just been fantastic and got all my accounts in order and 
um, and gives me high-level guidance on numbers and cash flows. And I've got a digital marketing person who's brilliant, who's been with me. They've both been with me about six months. My production is currently um, in China, but mm-hmm. I've had two big blows with that, you know, in the last two productions. The first one was very held up because of the um, the demonstrations in Hong Kong because my sure. merchandising and everything is, is in Hong Kong. All okay. my shipments go in and out of Hong Kong. Mm. That cost me a lot of time and money. And then now, of course, we have coronavirus. And so yes. I'm a month late with this lot. Well, I was, was going to ask you about that. Yeah, oh, if you've yeah. already started to feel the, the flow-on effect. <laughs> yeah, look, we were we were going to be okay because I started my production with them before Chinese New Year. But then because Beijing decided that everyone has to take another two weeks off, it has held us back. So mm. we are up to a month late, but we're hoping it's going to be nearer three weeks, possibly even two if we get very lucky. Um, but that's really scary and, and, and that's two big blows, which I find it, you know, it's hard for, for my business. So I actually also visited Sri Lanka in December last year and I was recommended to a factory there that, um, that I'm going to work with, um, on my next run. And mm-hmm. they're currently, um, starting out probably in the next two weeks. Um, and I, I really like Sri Lanka. They, they're very sustainability minded over there. They do a lot mm-hmm. of, water and energy recycling and um, this factory is much too big for me but the great thing about that is because they're bigger they have a lot more accreditations in terms of looking after their people Mm -hmm. Um, they have to be a lot more accountable to their bigger clients because if you work with a smaller factory they don't they can't pay for those accreditations it's not worth it they don't do enough business um, so to work with a larger factory means that it's their processes are much more transparent which is great um, and initially we felt like it, I felt like it wasn't going to work. Their pricing was a bit high and changed a bit. And then I went over and met them and it just so happened that the chairman's son who now runs after or looks after lingerie, um, did his thesis on Patagonia. And ah. yeah. So when he came to the meeting, he was just blown away. He's a young guy. He's the next mm. generation. And he just said, this is great. This is so exciting. We want to work with you and we want to be in sustainability and we want to be driving the change. And so I'm much too small for them. They'll probably make no money, but they want to work with me to try and get me bigger, which is fantastic. So how great is that? Yeah. So it feels like, you know, even with those big, big factories that do big, big brands, they, they know that the time or things are changing and the time is now and they Mm. want to be, they want to be involved in that. So And on board with brands that are really focused on that sustainable fashion and and garments. That's right. And then aside from that, I've got, um, I've actually just signed up today, um, a fabulous social enterprise called Avenue um, to do my pick, pack and ship. Mm-hmm. And they are um, a business set up to give employment opportunities to people with disabilities. And they're just fantastic. So I was out there in French's Forest today. It happened to be someone who I, I know, I've seen 10 years, but just caught up with. And, and they, they have this great pig pack and ship facility and it gives really meaningful work that they want to be involved in. And, you know, these people really do want to, to go to work and be part of a community. Mm. Um, and so they work with smaller enterprises like mine to do the pick, pack and ship. And it's never going to be the fastest. We're not going to get it out that afternoon. 
course, sure. we'll get it out the next day, hopefully. And if there's a bad day, it might take two days, but it will get out. Mm. Um, but we're giving, you know, opportunities to um, to these great people who really just want to do some work and mm. be part of a normal community. Part so, of the com- employment community. Yeah. So that's a really feel good thing. And it takes a lot of weight off my shoulders and gets the stock out of my spare room. And sure. I'm going to be very happy about that, let me tell you. Yeah, absolutely. And mm. so... Um, the Avenue team, so they're based in in Sydney as well. So the products yeah. come from China when you do your your um, your runs. Yeah, in here, and they'll right. just go straight there instead of to your home, yeah. and they'll look after yeah. all of that packaging and and sending out of orders. Exactly. Yeah. So it's great. So it feels like bit by bit, it's moving out of my you know tiny orbit, and mm. pieces of it being broken off, which is great. Mm. Um, so talk us through the products because it's obviously you know it's obviously called the very good bra, but I know from the website that there's you know undies and and sleepwear and loungewear. So talk us through the range of products and sort of how they came to be be about. Yeah. Um, When I did the first, the Kickstarter, I did a survey and was interested to know what other people, what other things people wanted. And, and sort of sleepwear came out as something that was really quite a a big thing. And for men and for women as well, women particularly wanted to gift their men um, sleepwear and it was coming up to Christmas. So I decided to do some of that. And I did that at, at my expense. And I must say it wasn't fabulously successful for some roundish um mm. I think in the end there's a lot of choices out there for sleepwear and this you know feels a bit more expensive and not everybody gets it and it's not as unique as a bra um my sleepwear is still the only one that's sewn there's a sort of spandex free and um polyester sewing thread three and organic cotton labels so I think one is you know one of the only ones out there that would be fully compostable um, but there are still other good eco options and fair trade options that people can choose from so so I did some more um over Christmas again and that's you know it sells quite slowly but it's nice to have something else I think to have in mm. there that is people are gifting the undies were a bit of a punt um my undies are always quite expensive because i don't do very large quantities of them people don't tend to buy masses of them so that means it's more, much more expensive for me to make them um but i did these three packs and i must say they've been selling really really well so i think that's a, a better model for me and if i can bring down the pricing with some new materials and my new factory then i, I just want it to be more accessible to more people mm. um particularly just for basics. So, so yeah, I'll, I'm going to make lots more three packs of undies, I think. Um, I'm not sure how much more I'll expand beyond that. I still think I'd love to do basic T-shirt. I think a great T-shirt that's completely compostable, again, is a lovely a lovely thing. Mm. Um, but it has to be everything for me is one by one because you've got to kind of generate the revenue first and then make the product. And if there's any spare money, you can try something else. So, so yeah. And Stephanie, where are you finding most of your customers are coming from or, or finding out ab- about you? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Gosh, I mean, I have no marketing budget really. Um, and 40% of my sales are international and 30% wow. is the US. I know, it's it's huge. Um, so we just have really good organic SEO and, and that really I think comes from a number of bloggers who have um, covered the very good mm-hmm. bar as part of sustainable lingerie type um, uh, blogs, and yeah, those things just stay up there, and if they they tweak them enough, and if they get looked at enough, they just stay at the top. So mm. just lucky with that um, organic SEO, and um, 
long may it last, really, because yeah. the sales do continue to grow. And I find that if we advertise on Facebook and things like that, we tend to, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily increase sales. I think if, you, mm. if you're if going to people who aren't necessarily interested in that and they haven't looked for you, then it, it doesn't really work. So uh, we're just lucky at the moment in a bit of a sweet spot where a lot of people are Googling sustainable underwear, sustainable bras, and we're coming up because of that, which is just great. And I think sometimes too, if, you know, there's a certain magazine, say the the eco um, website or magazine that you've been featured on, for example, if people already trust that brand and that brand then recommend you, it's like you inherit that trust automatically yes. Um, yes. so that if, you know, if, if they read that magazine or that publication and they say you're right, then, you know, you just inherit that, that credibility or that respect or that trust. So yeah. I think that sometime is, is better than your own social media because it's basically you just saying hey look at me I'm great as opposed to someone hey going like hey look at Stephanie's brand it's great and and we and we kind of vouch for it that's right it's very qualified and Mm. uh, many of these women are very have very active accounts and very Mm -hmm. active in the zero waste space and Mm -hmm. have a lot of followers and they're people in this space are really very committed to what they do and a really nice bunch of people. And so, and and many of them buy the bars as well. You know, they might be given one as a gift, but, you know, they come back and buy bars after that. So they, Mm. they also, you know, invest their own money in it. And, and yeah, their followers, it it really does increase trust um, when people like that support you. And I've been lucky enough to be supported by, by many great people in, in that space. So it's fantastic. What have been, I guess, some of the real standout moments for you, both from a, um, you know, a milestone and a hurdle point of view mm-hmm. where um, over the past few years, since the business has sort of been um, growing and growing, what have been some of those real sort of standout moments, you know, for better or for worse for you? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, the positives were obviously the success of the Kickstarter. That was you know, 300% more than we put down as goal so that was that kind of really makes you think wow it's not just me Mm. um people really do care about this stuff so that was that was really great um I think being asked to speak at sustainable brands in Detroit last year was was great as um a zero waste brand yeah that's um yeah that was a that and that was a that was a something happened when that happened because sales just picked up after that I was thinking I'm, I'm gonna have to go and get a job and I was looking at that and doing part-time work and doing this as well but mm. but it really just sort of something changed something changed after Detroit um and then really you know I mean, getting on the project was a massive thing because that's so mainstream and um that was great financially but also great for, for ongoing profile um and then I, I'm actually just about to do a a collaboration with Liberty of London. Um, that's very exciting for me because uh, they've created their first ever organic cotton in my weight that I can um, make a very good bra out of. So just finalising the design of that and that will be launching. It was supposed to be launching in April but because I've been held up by coronavirus mm. and everything else. I've got to wait a little bit longer. So it's probably going to be April, May now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just got into the semifinals of the Shio competition. Yeah, that's incredible. I saw that, I think, on the social media. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That was was a nice one. Thank you. And I I don't know if I'll get any further. There's some great projects in there. And I I always feel that um, sort of social enterprise has the edge on these things because they literally lift people out of homelessness and poverty. And Mm. you can't really compete with that. But I'm very happy to have got 
as far as I have and it's Absolutely. a huge um, achievement so so that's good so that's really all the positive stuff and I guess increasing you know today things like Avenue Today increasing the impact where we were able to um, start donating a dollar a bra to um, sorry a, a tree a bra um, from the beginning of February via one tree planted so things like that which just broadly increase the impact that you have out there mm-hmm. so they're, they're my positives I think mm-hmm. you know the low points um, would be my recent discovery that the French had been putting a piece of polypropylene in um, my hook and eye piece, mm. uh, which I found out in January, having never had it flagged during the whole polyester sewing thread crisis of 2018. <laughs> um, it never came up and then the conversation. And then ever since then, people have only sent me sealed and sewn units. So I had no idea this was happening. So um, when that happened, I was. Um, yeah, I was absolutely devastated. I, mm. I honestly thought I'd have to close down the business. I, my, my first thought was I'll have to shut down. I've sold all of these zero waste bars and they have a little piece of plastic in the, mm. in the hook and eye. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell my partner for 10 days. I was just distraught. I didn't even know how to form the words. Mm. There's plastic in my bra. <laughs> um, so I, but eventually I, I got an email up last week and um, I, I, when it was going out, scheduled to go out at four o'clock. And so I just got myself a gelato. I felt sick. I got myself a gelato and went down to the beach and thought, oh. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to look at the screen. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and eat a gelato. And I went home and, and even by then I got sort of 10 emails and, and I've had over 70 now of people who are just so supportive and so kind and so understanding. Um, it's been extremely humbling and, and yeah, I just feel so lucky that people are so gracious um, and, and understanding about this. So that was, that's been my biggest low point, I have to say. That was a huge blow. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Other than that, just delays are very hard. You, you don't want to disappoint people. You don't want to let them down particularly after they've seen you and bought on the project and then, they, you know, it's going to be a month late. So all of those things are tough and they're beyond your control when it's mm. riots or, um, you know, or coronavirus. So, and yeah, I think I'd be lucky. I think the balance there is positive over yeah. negative, really. I think it yeah. really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, you yeah. mentioned Kickstarter a couple of times. So for people that are unfamiliar with that, um, that terminology, if you could just sort of explain it a little bit, because I think it's a great, um, it's a great avenue for people to know about who may be, you know, in a similar position to where you were a few years ago, thinking about starting a, a similar type of business. Yeah, that's right. So, so well, Kickstarter allows you to pre-sell, um, if you've got an idea, and in my case, you know, the materials are very expensive, um, marketing is very expensive, everything's very expensive. So you just decide, you nominate a figure that you think will just get you to the point where you can actually create that product and get get going into production. And people get a discount for, for pre-buying, for pledging. Um, and if you don't reach your goal, they get their money back. If you don't reach your goal within 30 days, they get their money back. Mm-hmm. Um but we reached our goal in 48 hours, which was wow. Incredible. Yeah, um, I'd only put 20,000, but it was um, it was still incredible to get that within 48 hours. Um, and then whatever you get is just you know additional to to the project. So in the end, it was it was around eighty thousand dollars. So it was a a huge amount to be able to go out and buy everything I needed and get going and just have a breather and and just really lock in production. Um, mm. 
it's reasonably expensive. I mean, the, the fees that come off everything, so you've got your payment gateways, your Kickstarter fees, then there's a backer kit thing, which is the one that sort of does the logistics for sending all the goods out afterwards. Um, so there's a degree of expense in that. You can't really do it all the time, but it's actually a great, it's a great marketing tool because it's very global. Um, and I have a lot of those customers to this day who come back and, you know, continue to buy the product. Um, and what I've done then since then, you know, rather than go out and look for an investor or backer again is, is I've adopted this pre-sale model, but rather than do it through Kickstarter, I just do it through the website and we send out emails to everyone. We put it on social, we talk to influencers and, you know, we say we need to get X amount to go into production. And, um, we were lucky last time, which is only the second bar I'd done. It, I got the appearance on the project. So that was fantastic. That locked it all in. And what that allows me to do is, is it allows customers to, to buy at a discount and to lock in their size. So they've definitely got it because we make mm-hmm. it 26 sizes. And some of those I might only make five. So you might not have your size if you leave mm-hmm. it too late. And then to make up, you know, 50 to 100% extra stock, sort of mirroring those sizes, because again, it's really hard to estimate where you're going to sell those sizes and you, you don't want to overproduce. So it allows me to create an amount for, you know, later customers so they can always buy something on site, hopefully in their size. Um, and also means that I don't overproduce. I'm not sitting with buckets of something in a size that I've guessed at and that are never going to sell. So, so yeah, it means that I'm always a little bit short of stock, but that's better than I think holding too much and holding stuff that you're not going to be able to, to sell. So yeah. 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 So you you mentioned um, gelato on the beach as as a way that you sort of help kind of get through those tougher days. What other things um, do you have in place or do you try to do to make sure that, you know, you're sort of looking after yourself that you can still continue to run, you know, this growing and very successful business? Yeah, but look, gelato on the beach is highly illegal because I actually have a bit of an autoimmune disorder. I'm not supposed to have any sugar. Uh, So that's a a Um, one-off. That's just an indication of major crisis point desperate time uh, yes desperate times um and but uh, no i'm actually really rigorous about that i mean having had cancer um, i'm really i'm really clear that you know stress it, it's very stressful what i do but i have to minimize that in some way and so mm-hmm. i'm lucky enough to live near the beach and i make sure that i get to the beach every day so normally my morning starts with packing the parcels from the night before i have to get them all done by eight and then I go down to the beach and I, I practice 10 minutes of gratitude every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I run up and down the beach twice. And then I actually do a meditation, a sort of at least a 10-minute meditation um, with an app. And so that's how my morning starts. And that's kind of non-negotiable because mm. um, that really does keep me on an even keel. And then I meditate in the evening as well. So I'm big on meditation. But I'm also a big exerciser, so I, I cycle and I do Pilates and I've been skiing and um, there's lots of stuff that I do to keep busy and active and fit, Mm. which I think is important. Absolutely. I think that's something that's quite common um, Mm. through the guests that we've spoken to over the past 12 months around, yeah, getting out, you know, to the beach or in a park or in nature and and moving their body, even if it's just, you know, a quick walk around the block with the dog just to get out of the house. But it's just about getting away from the screen, getting away from the product or the customers or the other people in the business and just getting out and getting fresh air and a bit of vitamin D and just getting sort of 
out there into the world and away from, you know, that little yeah. corner of your house or your room Absolutely. or whatever that might be. Absolutely. And I also have to be careful because I work from home. I make sure mm. there are no visible signs of anything. I don't ever leave the bars out that I'm packing for the next morning on the table, you know, because I don't want to see them when it's mm-hmm. done. It just has to go. Yes. Um, and I, I have to work longer hours in the evening anyway because all of my suppliers are in Europe and my mm. factories are in Asia. So everyone's, you know, behind us. Mm. Um, but I too, do try and minimize that. And that also me- makes me adamant that a, a, an hour of my morning has to be. Um, really just good stuff for me just to keep me on an even keel for the rest of the day. And I think when you're working for yourself too, if you don't put those um, parameters or those boundaries in place and carve out that time, no one else is going to do it for you. Even if you've got the best husband or wife or most supportive kids or the greatest best friend, no one will physically pick you up from the chair, from the behind the screen, from behind the computer and do that for you. So it is really important to be strict on yourself and put those things in place. You know, like you said, not having the products visible. So you do really get that separation. Yeah, absolutely. I'd go mad if I didn't. Mm, I agree. What's coming up um, for you and the very good bra that you're excited about that's really sort of getting you up every morning and, and, and going? Well, look, there's lots of really good stuff. I mean, the, the Shio thing is is exciting and interesting. I'm excited to be working with the new factory in Sri Lanka. It's obviously a lot of work goes into getting that to work, but I think that will be a really positive partnership. I'm super excited about Liberty. I've been working on this for almost a year now, um, developing that idea and that new, it's a new style of bra and it's, it's a new material and it's a big one for them. It's a big one for me. Mm. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. I'm working on a maternity or a nursing bra, um, mm. which I hope to get out. I was hoping to be able to launch for Mother's Day, but because of all the delays and coronavirus mm. and that's not going to happen for that in that time frame. But um, that's something I've, I'm often asked for. And I think, again, Carrie Bickmore said it on the project, you know, you you go through nursing and you just got so many bras that you're just going to throw away. You're never going to use them again. So they go into landfill. So I'd like to stop a few bras going into landfill. Yes. Uh, maternity bras. And, yeah, and, and then just um, I'd like to do a plus size range at some point um maybe in the next 12 months because again i get a lot of queries and women who are beyond my size range but you know what we do already 26 sizes is so massive most of the big brands don't do that mm. and they feel left out and i would like to have as broad appeal as i can but it will probably be a specific larger size range so that's something i'd love to do in the next 12 months as well so lots of exciting lots things. of exciting things coming up yeah. stephanie if people are wanting to find out a little bit more about the very good bra and perhaps purchase their own items where's the best place for them to come and find out more information about the business sure it's best to come to the website um, which is www.theverygoodbra.com um, and also I'll follow our Instagram account and Facebook, um, which is just the very good bra. That's really where you're going to find most about us and everything should be there. There's some great pictures on the Instagram of, um, I think, you know, some, some of the models that you've used, but also the customers and their reviews. So that's a great, a great space for people to really have a good, good look at, um, good look at the products too on, on real everyday women, I think. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think we've got a good variety now. It takes time to build that portfolio up, but I think mm. we're getting there. 
So as Stephanie said, the website there is theverygoodbra.com and at the bottom of that page um, you'll find links to their Facebook and social media and obviously through the shop tab you can have a look at all the products and, and learn a little bit more about Stephanie and her business. So please go and check it out. Jump onto your social media and, and follow Stephanie's business and support however you can because obviously this is not just because of what Stephanie's been through with her own diagnosis but in terms of the zero waste and no trace component of the of the business. It's something that um, you know we can't really afford to to turn a blind eye to anymore because of what we see happening um, around the world in terms of climate change. So please jump on and have a look at that. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a really great interview and I have learned so much about not only your business, but the whole um, space in terms of circular economy and zero waste um, garments and uh, and undergarments. So thank you so much for your time and, and for coming on to the Bold platform. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. 